Thank you for tuning in to Tactile, a practical guide to transforming art and culture. This is the podcast of Leveraging a Network for Equity, LANE, a program of the National Performance Network. LANE supports arts organizations of color and rural organizations with time and resources needed to grow their infrastructure in ways that are culturally authentic and moves the field towards justice. I'm your host, Sage Crump, Program Specialist for LANE. We are super excited today to be sitting with Stephanie McKee and Demia Kambubi of Junebug Productions. Uh, Junebug Productions is located here in New Orleans, Louisiana, so they're our, our neighbors and our, our uh, friends for many, many years. And I'm personally excited about this opportunity to talk with them because I've had an up-close and personal look at the transformation that has happened, not only in the last four years with Lane, but with the work that these two amazing women have been doing for over a decade and so I'm excited for the rest of the world to understand and learn more about the brilliance they bring to our field. And so I'm going to ask Stephanie McKee Anderson and uh, Demia Kabubi to introduce themselves and a little bit about Junebug Productions. I'm Demia Kabubi. I am the uh, Director of Community Collaboration and Marketing at Junebug Productions. And my name is Stephanie McKee Anderson. I am the Executive Artistic Director of Junebug Productions, and I have the great honor of um, being in the second generation of leadership for the organization. That's exciting. I think we're going to ask you a little bit about what that means around the second generation of leadership for the organization, but can you give us a little bit of history about Junebug Productions and what I know its specialness is and what folks who may be listening who aren't familiar with can learn about what Junebug brings to the field and has been for many years. Sure, so uh, Junebug Productions um, is considered the organizational successor to uh, the Free Southern Theater. The Free Southern Theater was actually started in 1963. It was uh, founded by um, Doris Derby, uh, the late Gilbert Moses, and the late John O'Neill, who is, uh, also was the founding artistic director for Junebug. Junebug itself uh, will be 40 years old in 2020. Uh, so we're making 40 years very soon. It doesn't seem like, it seems like just yesterday it was really just 30 years or 20 years. But it's 40 years in 2020. And that is a huge milestone for us that um, represents 40 years of continuing the legacy of um, Free Southern Theater um, in looking at um, that intersection between art and social justice and how we turn around with the artwork that we create, how we turn around and, and have that in service of ongoing movement and movement building and organizing that's happening here in the city of New Orleans and beyond. That's really exciting. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Stephanie, because one of the things I think is really important is the role that place plays in Junebug Productions and naming New Orleans um, and caring for the stories of New Orleans and the people here. How long have you been involved with the organization, both you and Demia? So um, Demia has a little bit of a different trajectory yeah. than I do. So I think that I have known of and loved Junebug. Um, I think I was introduced to Junebug at Ashe when I was working at Ashe, um, and that would be 10 10 years ago, and um, but I actually came on at Junebug almost four years ago now. That time has fly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that <blew. laughs> However that goes. That's exciting. <laughs> so um, it's funny, funny story. I was trying to remember how old I was when I started getting connected to Junebug. I want to say that um, I was in my mid-twenties mm. when I was connected. John and my father actually helped me understand that I was actually connected to Junebug via Free Southern Theater a lot earlier than that. I'll tell you that. But in my mid-twenties was when I actually got connected um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a performative way to Junebug um, through different programs that they have. But I think the one that was most formative 
was one that was run by the Associate Artistic Director, Della um, Gauthier, who uh, had a celebration of women in the arts. She would do that every year. And she did it in March. And, you know, I was a young artist and um, trying to figure stuff out and um, in a very youthful way said, oh, I always wanted to do a production. I'll just do it myself. (laughs) (laughs) Many folks have tried. Uh, Yeah, I was like, I'll just do it myself. No big deal. And uh, very quickly learned that it um, takes a lot to put up a production. And those uh, numbers, when you start adding them up, get very humbling. You get humbled real quick (laughs) um, when you start looking at all those numbers and they start adding up. But... um, there I was with a, the tiniest bit of, a, of two grants, one through the Jazz Fest and the other through the Arts Council, first time around. And um, I met Adela and I were teaching um, a workshop to some kids. And I was just telling her how frustrated I was and that, you know, I didn't have nearly all the money or, or resources I needed to pull this production off. And she said, well, wait a minute, before you, is there a way that you can do it maybe a month earlier? And I said, I was going to say no. And then I stopped myself and I said, well, why? Mm, Good question. And um, then she went ahead to tell me about this program she has, Celebration of Women in the Arts, in that if I were able to shift the dates of that, if my artists were available to do that, that here are all the things that Junebug can bring towards this uh, production uh, for you. So it was... I was been thinking about this. It was my first experience with understanding what collaborations and what, you know, being very resourceful, what those kind of real strategic collaborations and partnerships look like. It was my first foray into that. It was so formative. I really think that it really has, um, it's, it's just stayed with me. So I understand what it means to be an artist that's supported by an organization. But to that end, I also know what kind of magic can happen when you have the right resources for your own work. Um, that's really stayed with me. So that's how that happened. The older story was that it turns out my father and John O'Neill actually knew each other when I was a baby. So I was a baby coming around. I don't have any memory of it. <laughs> I have zero memory of it. But I was an adult when um, my father was helping me take some boxes in and they ran into each other. I didn't know they knew each other. Wow. And that's how we found out in that parking lot. <laughs> Feels like you were you were destined to be generationally in, <laughs> impacted funny. in so yeah. many ways. <laughs> and I love having this conversation with both of you. Stephanie, for your your long extended history as an artist and um, as executive artistic director here. And then Demia, you came in like right before Lane started, it sounds like, right on the on the front end. And so you together you have this like bookend history of this experience together um, that um, I'm really excited to delve into. Lane is grounded in this idea that we have everything we need to make the transformations for our organizations. Uh, We just need a body of support. Uh, and, uh, and some money, you know, that helps us get there, but the knowledge, like our communities. And so there's a way in which all of the organizations have been operating for years around what change looks like. And I think it's really exciting for folks to hear from you all. How do you think change happens? So I, I think change happens in many ways. Something that, a, a way that it happens that really stands out for me is I think that Change cannot happen without the the spark, the dream idea, the shift in thinking that the change is possible in the first place. Thanks so much, Demia. I really appreciate um, this idea of change being not even just local, like as in a place, but located inside oneself as a, as a genesis. I'm curious, Stephanie, same question. How do you think change happens? Well, I think as Demia said, it, it's a you have to fundamentally believe that it's possible. Um, and I put emphasis on that because um, I, I've seen in my lifetime people and what it looks like. I'll use the example of Obama. I know what it looks like to turn around and look at my grandfather who was 80 something years old at the time going, it'll never happen in my lifetime it'll never happen 
having lived that, that, that many years, I suspect that at another time in his life, he felt like it would. Right. Uh, uh-huh. And so I'm really curious about how your ability to hang on to the possibility that it can happen, even if you're not around when it happens. Um, so that's one thing that was really striking from what it was that you said. But I'm also I think about change as in I can strike a match right now and it goes from, you know, having a fire in it and it going out in just a few seconds. But I think about what it means to turn around and have a fire that burns a lot longer. And what does that mean? And to me, when I think about change, I think about movement and I think about movement building and it takes all of those things. It takes the spark, which you spoke about very eloquently, but it also means that we we want the kind of change that's lasting. Like we want that kind of change that's lasting and can be sustained. Right. Mm -hmm. Not quick change. I think we all know what quick change looks like. And quick change is not sustainable change to me. Things that happen really quickly, it's just like, yeah, I could bake a cake and it could be really quick. But all the right ingredients coming together to really make it really good, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's going to take a little bit longer. Right. So it'll take longer for us to get here. Um, So I'm thinking about not just the road and journey it takes to turn around and get to said change, but I'm also thinking about the length of time and the duration of time. What does change look like? What what does it mean to create that change, but it's the lasting change that sits with us uh, longer than that quick Betty Crocker change? (laughs) No, that's, you know, I appreciate the way you said, like, we all know that. Because when you said that, immediately I remembered when Oprah went on the liquid diet in the 80s and came out in these, like, Gloria Vanderbilt or, or some Sassoon jeans. And she and looked good, didn't she? She did. <laughs> Lasted all of maybe a year. That's right. You That's know? right. And so mm-hmm. there are ways that, that change is not just in a moment, right. but change has to, uh, um, thinking about the, the long term. Well, I mean, it's apropos to what it is that we do, right? We've all had the ebbs and flows. I think organizations that are lucky to be around the length of time that Junebug has um, have had those ebbs and flows inside of the work. We've had those moments where we're all excited and look at all this money that we have. And then we are, um, you know, can't find two nickels to rub together. That's what I mean by change. Like, well, how do we turn around and sustain it? How, how can we be in a space of... Um, I used this. I used this analogy the other day. I don't want to just be in the good times change, like good times as it comes, scratching and surviving. I don't want to be in scratching and surviving, but like really, like really thriving as a as an institutional organization. And we know that there are all kinds of things that are stacked up against us. With that, for us, I feel like I feel like my job, our job, while we're here at Junebug during this time that we have as part of its legacy is to really kind of dig away and try to figure out and try to figure out how to crack the code, how to figure it out. Mm-hmm. How do we turn around and create an organization? An organization as important as this. I don't think you get to 40 years without people um, feeling like what you're doing is uh, necessary mm-hmm. um, towards the movement. I think that it stuck around um, because it is necessary and something that's needed. Um, and I'm not afraid of something that needs to sunset. I, I, I firmly believe in that. There's things that happen. It happens. It serves a purpose and it can sunset. I'm okay with that. Um, but I think the fact that it's been around as long as it has, has been because it's something that's really needed and wanted. Um, and I feel like our job is to figure out how, um, as long as that need exists, how do we turn around and create a legacy for other people when we're long gone or create a legacy that actually affects whether we're here or not, that the impact of what was done on this earth is really felt Mm. for generations. No, I appreciate that. Um, Particularly where, where, what you all are talking about around like possibility and, and impact for generations. Cause I feel like because that is um, sort of, because that is the way you all think about change, in my mind, that might have been related to why you applied to Lane in the first place, right? Because there are a lot of folks, and I've said this on other episodes of the podcast, 
Lane was something that no one had experienced before. So the idea that folks are spending some time writing applications or letters for this thing that nobody quite knows what it is, you know, um, and how grateful I am that folks took this journey. I'm curious, like, what, um, what did you believe might have been possible or what were you all looking for uh, in, that, in that time when you were uh, thinking about Lane? During that time for us, we were sitting down and think, honestly, most of the questions that were being asked was not, it was not difficult for us to digest what was being asked. We didn't know how it was going to play out, but it was not difficult for us to answer the questions because we were already in that place of inquiry um, with our own work. Like, how do we, how do we move out of this? What makes a sustainable organization? What is it about these legacy institutions? And we would, we were not by ourselves. There were other organizations that were similar, similarly situated mm-hmm. um, that we had and still have lots of conversations around how do we, I, I always liken it to a um, hamsters on a wheel that really go nowhere. Um, how do we get out of that cycle? How do we get out of that cycle? How do we break into another, another place Um, How do we stay motivated to do the work? How do we stay encouraged? How do we move into a place of finding finding new things, of being ahead of the curve, Um, new technology, new way? And we know that it's possible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We know that it's possible, but how do we stay fresh enough um, to be thinking in that way? Um, We were already curious about that. The ambiguity of the the program itself, I think I can deal with ambiguity a little bit more than a lot of people. I can tolerate like that gray area that we're not quite sure what it is. Um, I think I can deal with that. In fact, I, I hope, I hope that journalist, you may say something really different because you had to deal with me. So you may say something different. <laughs> But as we're in the ambiguity, the thing that I like is surfacing the questions like, okay, so then what does this mean? Or in what way and in challenging, bringing this level of inquiry and challenge, not in a bad way, but just as how is this going to be different from other things that we do? Mm -hmm. Why should we be reporting in this way when this is this? What is this bumping up against? I feel tension in this. Thing, and I'm not quite sure what it is, you know, in that moment that we had to keep kind of, I think, you know, I'm I do. talking about this moment about reporting and about like, no, it was about submitting the full yes. proposal. And it was, um, and I speak about that to this day. It was about timelines and it's about competing timelines. Junebug has a timeline that we're working on. Mm-hmm. NPN has a timeline that they're working on. And then Mellon, who's funding the program, has a timeline that they're working on, right? Mm -hmm. And it was only until that moment that that proposal had to come in that I'm like, wait, something's not adding up. What's going on? You said I had plenty of time. I feel like we don't have a lot of time. And in fact, we realized we thought we did, but actually because of something, another competing timeline, we actually don't have the time that we thought. Then I can digest. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a wonderful thing to to um, be able to dig and to get to because it allows us a different space to come to and talk about here are the things that we learned along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what I appreciate about ambiguity because it helps you get clear real quick. <laughs> I think one of the things I, I won't uh, um, negate that. I think that is true. That there, and there were a lot of uh, questions that, that you came with, both of you came with, that, that were really exciting for me. Because I think one of the things that, in my mind, every cohort member has a little, um, uh, like a little subtitle in my mind. Like, this is the organization that's like, blah, blah, blah. This is the organization. And for me, uh, Junebug holds curiosity and imagination so beautifully. Like, I feel like you all took this time and like, leaned into like okay hold up like and in order to i like to say structure and creativity are not enemies right you needed to know what the parameters were so that you could activate your imaginations inside that and be like okay so let's try this or hold on to that i need some more information for this 
And, and um, now we know how to move. Um, I feel like it was one, you all are one of the most self-determined uh, organizations that, that I've gotten the pleasure of working with. It's just really clear. Like, I understand all these things are happening and this is what feels right for us. Mm-hmm. Which when you're talking about systems change is a really important space to hold so that folks understand outside of, outside of Jubog and outside of the organization that, that they are not the center. You are, we are here, Lane is here, everyone else is here to support this body. And I feel like you all have held that so beautifully, so thank you. Thank you. Yeah. One of the things that, that, that centering does is that tells me that there's something about um, a Jumbo way of being, that there are values that you weren't going to deviate from regardless of whatever plan somebody else had. Are there some things that you feel like are a through line for your work and for your artistic work, but also that may also uh, impact how the organization functions like staffing or, or infrastructure that you're like, we, these are our core principles by which we operate. I would love to know how Nimiya answers that question just because of like, maybe are we stacking up to it? I don't know, but um, I will say something that's come up that I've, I, I appreciate is honesty um, within the organization, honesty about like where we are. I really appreciate that. Whether that's a difficult thing for me to hear as a leader or not. Yeah. Sometimes honesty can be a lot, right? It's yes. like, okay, slow down. <laughs> slow down. I thought I was going to get a tablespoon full of honesty and you're offering a cup. You gave me a cup and I wasn't ready for it. But, but, I, but I do appreciate it because if nothing else, for me, as you said, what I'm, so I'm learning a lot about leadership. Hmm. I'm learning a lot. This whole thing has been great for me in terms of me, like a self-discovery about what it is that I need as a leader, how I am as a leader even. I hope it's helped me to be able to be and communicate with the folks that I work with um, better. You know, like, let me, let me, okay, so let's sit down, let's talk about this. <laughs> I'm sensing <laughs> how do we get to here's why this was hard or just yesterday we was it yesterday we had this conversation I was like that was hard for me right you yeah. know I was like that yeah. was real hard for me but I wanted to give you space yeah. for something yeah. that was important for me to give you space in that um, and I had to sit with like not wanting all the answers a little you know I just had to sit with it a little bit longer it didn't kill me Mm. it did kill an organization we all we're still here we love each other right right but it's something that I realized about myself I don't know and I think part of it also that we talked about is the honesty allows us to be able to contribute to support of somebody in a better way than we would have without knowing like I got to be very honest with where I am so that Demia understands, here's what I'm holding while I'm trying to figure out how to, I want to best, I want to be able to best support you. Communication is yet that other thing. Um, and it's something we struggled with, communication, for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we are not um, more than capable of being able to communicate, but we've been thinking a lot and we've been talking a lot this year about vulnerability and um and about how appearing vulnerable keeps us and blocks us from doing some of the things that actually is more of a strength to us. Hmm. I mean, we've been leaning into that a lot more um, of that vulnerability, particularly in this past year has been challenging. Um, you know, and, um, and maybe the people that are listening may not know that um, in um, October of this past year is when we lost our founding um, artistic director and that that um, we were not expecting it he was slowing down for sure but that was very unexpected and um, and for the last several months I've been actually dealing <laughs> with that yeah. um, because honestly when I came into this position I thought I would be able to ask more questions that being said that level of honesty and vulnerability as um, as a strength not as a weakness um, and as something that we look at like a core principle like that is something that is actually a strength, that vulnerability um, for us. And I'm sure there are other things that are undergirdings for the organization, but I think that honesty in everything we do, so that's internally, but that's externally. 
if I drop the ball on something with a partner, no, it's not okay. If I'm struggling with a partner, no, it's not okay. But let's sit down and talk about it um, because the relationship is too important for us not to be able um, to sit and, um, and to talk about it. Um, boundaries and setting clear boundaries, um, which is something that we will, you know, Mm. boundaries broken every day <laughs> every day <laughs> boundaries were broken and you know it came up and I appreciated it um, it came up where the staff members were like yeah so just like these are the hours in which we want to have yeah, like the communication inside of the office unless it's like obviously an emergency or something like that mm-hmm. I deeply appreciated that because even though Stephanie McKee may be fresh and bright as a daisy at 6 a.m., other people are not. Oh. And, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's not any, you don't mean anything by it. It's just that, hey, I'm really thinking this is my best time. It's not necessarily the best time for somebody mm. else. I'm looking at Demia, but not that. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> <laughs> Demia's like, don't text me at 6 a.m. But those, okay. are, those are the things that are on top. Like, mm. those are the things that are on top um, for me. I'm curious about. I think um, one of one of the one of our values, our values, and in, in specifically inside of the story circle process, is this idea of active active listening, and how that has really. Um, I mean, it's it's in everything we do, the way we respond to our people and our communities, but it also was very present for me throughout the lane process as we were in these meetings and in these discussions um, where that idea, those sparks came up, those ideas of like how other organizations were handling things or, or what they're looking to do and this, the way in which we, we were able, and I think to showed up for the other organizations as well, but just to um, connect it back to the Junebug value is like the way we were able to to kind of absorb and 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 um, and adapt and take these things and, and I reminded of the idea of the pivot, the way that Junebug does that really well. The, our, just our ability to listen and observe and be responsive to the information that we've taken in, to be able to figure out what works for us, what works for our people, in a way that's very open. And I think that, that that has really carried us through our lane process, even with the moments of resistance, you know what I mean? And that's only natural, of course, those things are going to happen. But our, our willingness and our ability to be like, okay, well, this is what we can do. These are the pieces of this that work for us. And we can, you know, make it happen. Make it happen in our own way sometimes, <laughs> but make it happen and make it happen beautifully too. Because right. we're trying to not, we're trying to be so, we're trying to be deliberate with it too. Absolutely. So, oftentimes you'll see us trying to slow down just because we're like, well, wait, hold up. Mm-hmm. No matter what it is that we do, we don't want that to just be out in the world looking crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> nobody. <Yeah. laughs> we don't want anything we do to be out in the world looking crazy or have us looking crazy. Um, we, we try to be really very deliberate mm-hmm. and try to connect the dots. In what way is this living up to the value? In what way is this supporting artists? In what way is this supporting community? In what way there's there's a there's a bit of a system that's going on. This little mm-hmm. invisible technology that's going on. Um, that is about making sure that things are connected to the larger vision and mission and goals of the of the institution. Mm. I, uh, as I was listening to you all, um, I started thinking about, uh, particularly as you were between the two of you, like the the values of responsiveness, openness, honesty, vulnerability, uh, um, boundaries. Like uh, I don't know that folks often think about the importance of grounding their organizational operations in the humanity of the people involved. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm hearing when I'm listening to you all. And I'm really, uh, uh, I think that oftentimes it's like structures or do you have this CRM or do you have this like, and then you'll communicate better. Like if you're using (laughs) Slack versus Asana, you know, and you're like, actually, no, we just actually need to tell each other and be able to tell each other where we are, what we're feeling so that we can figure out collectively a way forward. Yeah. And how to support each other. It's interesting 
so in another life, I was working at um, a nonprofit um, community development corporation. And um, when I was there, I was working at a neighborhood center in the seventh ward. And I was always thrown whenever there was something that was deeply human issue that was brought up. There was always, um, they would always throw a pitch of some kind of technical fix for it. Mm-hmm. And it was never a technical fix that was needed. It was never a technical fix. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you do realize that whatever technology we have, that there are people who are responsible for said technology that's going to make this thing happen. So at the end of the day, if we don't have a good handle or a good relationship with the people who are responsible for doing it, it's about, you know, as good as a used napkin. That's about it, right? Because there are people who have to make these things happen. We can never really lose sight um, of the fact that it is people are the reason why we do it and people are behind Mm -hmm. our ability to do Mm -hmm. the work. That's a quote right there. That's a a quotable. People are the reason why and there are also people behind the work. I think that's beautiful. Thank you. So I'm curious, uh, uh, because there's so much about what you all bring to the late process um, and what you brought to to these years that, that we've been collectively working together. What, where are pieces that you have found helpful? Are there things about the way uh, um, these four years have gone that, that has been helpful for you all? Um, or any of even um, some of the components? It's like, what about Lane? What's good for June Book? I, you know, and I can't believe I'm even saying this a year after we got the reward for Melon. I'm very grateful for the process of Melon. Girl, right, exactly. I can't believe I'm saying it. And I'm going to say it again because I, I, like on this other side, when I go back and I take a look at, and I, well, I know all the fits. There are many fits and many tantrums. And many rolling of the eyes and smacking of the teeth and throwing stuff down. All of that happened. What I'm grateful about, because it was a rigorous process, and it was one that allowed you to think. I think my only criticism is that when you have to think that quickly about something that you've never thought about or you've never had the time to think about, you get frustrated because you're like, I wish I had more time to think about that. (laughs) Right? Okay. But the level of rigor that came with that, I'm appreciative for because I can be on this other side and look at how we were interrogating things in a way that for the time we had, I'm actually very proud about what we what we have in there and how we thought about it. I think it makes sense. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. And what I've learned since is that um, when we sit down and think about the things that are most impactful, it is not the thing that's going to, it's not necessarily the savior. It's not going to fix all your problems. It is, however, going to give you, a, it's going to bring you through a rigorous process and it's going to get you to a place of inquiry that allows, at least it allowed me as a leader to think about the other things that can go in and fill the gaps of the things not covered by mm. Melon. So I looked at that as, yeah, of course it's not going to be, it's not going to cover everything. Of course not. However, it gives me really good building blocks to lay over um, a strategic plan that helps to build that, that has then a plan built into it for how we're actually going to reach these goals because they're real good goals that we have laid out there. So that's what I've been most excited about is how we've leveraged that for other funding, other way, other places that we want to concentrate on. We talked about um, innovation, right? About innovation. We've talked about investment and the intentional changing of the language uh, of, um, of, of funding or granting to investment for you to see what it is. Because at the end of it, it is a moral document. You really are looking at this is what we believe in. And so by naming it investment, you see what we really uh, believe in. Um, And it it changes the whole game. One of the things that had the most profound effect on me um, is 
as a part of the land process and making the space for these organizations to come together and spend significant time with each other, um, to learn from each other, to learn from uh, experts that were brought in. Um, so yeah, just being able to uh, have this uh, dedicated time to be in a room sharing with folks who are uh, doing work similar to ours and just being reminded that uh, we're not alone in it. Yeah. And that we have support. Yeah. Cause it can be isolating and, and I feel like there are different levels of isolation. I feel like as an organization, you feel isolated for sure. And the peer-to-peer learning that's happened, I think that's the thing that I, I probably lament the most about the mm-hmm. program. Is And we've been trying to figure out how do we continue to, how do we keep that portion? How do we have a license and agency to continue this intentional gathering mm-hmm. of organizations so that we're able to really share and learn from each other inside of that space? Um I think that has been, that's been actually beautiful. And I've always looked forward. I've always looked forward to that. I'm actually lamenting the end of that portion of it. Um, And, you know, maybe somebody listening might throw some money in that direction. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Hope springs eternal. But, um, yeah, that that part has been, you know, thank you for lifting that up. Because that part has been really essential to -to peer-to-peer learning. Um, as a as a part of that um, thing to kind of you have the rigorous process to get there so there's the journey of like getting there there's the what if this is possible which is I think very much to like how does change happen right Mm -hmm. it's like is this even is this even a real program right (laughs) is this a real program I think they're just pulling our leg Um, and then from that to the this is a real program and we're inviting you to be a part of that or or apply for this. Then from the application of like, I'm not sure if this is going to happen Wouldn't it be great. You know, and we sat there for a while with the, like, with the what if question, Mm -hmm. what if that actually happened? Like, wouldn't that be great? And how far, how, how quickly, when they say yeah, and then you have to put in the full proposal, do you fall away from that? Wouldn't that be great? What if that 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 wonder, that mm-hmm. amazement of the possibility of it, and because because of the way that we've been conditioned on the inside of the work that we do, mm-hmm. that as soon as the questions are asked of us, the place that we were like, oh, this is amazing. What if like there are all these things we could do? We fall right out of that. Mm-hmm. And into this other thing of feeling oppressed <laughs> mm-hmm. and then having the inability to really very surely lay out what it is that we're thinking about and mm-hmm. what the possibilities are for ourselves. So I, I am still kind of amazed and I have that question mark at the top of my head. What is it about? What is it <laughs> about that that we get out of one place and into another? I don't know what the answer to that is, but um, it is a reminder to me that we have to stay in that place of great wonder. Mm-hmm. That's a, um, I, what I think sometimes happens is all the things start crashing in on us, right? Like all the, what, what we've heard, how it's supposed to be all these things. And you have this opportunity. And I remember, um, I think we've talked about this in, in um, one of the other podcasts where where folks received their, their change capital, which is money for an organization to try the things that they spent so much time and were so rigorous about deciding. And then when the money came, folks were like, I don't want to touch it because I don't know what's going to happen next. And, and that, that's a conditioning, right? Like that, that has happened. What does it mean for organizations who have been ignored or divested from for decades to suddenly have access and the assumption as if that access is just going to all all the things, all the emotions, all the training that not having access is going to suddenly switch up. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work that way. Like it's, it's, it's the testament to all of you all that you all have worked your way through that. Yeah. I I had a conversation with my husband this morning and I said, listen, you're either going to pay or you're going to (laughs) pay. 
Okay. One or the other. You know, pay uh-huh. for it. You can pay for it now, or you can pay for it later. Mm-hmm. One or the other. And and by that, I just mean um, it's funny how funny we get about spending the money, and also spending it and getting like the good quality of something that's going to be lasting for the mm-hmm. organization in some sort of way. Like really kind of going for it, and then figuring this other portion of that out how uh, frightening it is for us. Now, we're not saying we're going crazy like it's an open check, but we're talking about, okay, we don't have to just buy the this end. This You know, we can actually mm-hmm. afford to get something that's really good and will be lasting and is, you know, not just okay. Computers with more memory than just the bottom basics. Exactly, <laughs> than the bottom thing. Or, or, like, we don't have to turn around and go get the used computers, which was what we were having to do before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, refurbished. We don't have to do that now. And, and, in fact, it's better for us when we don't. It is a really mm-hmm. funny place to get to, to see how tightly wound you get. It's a, it's a real... Um, uh, I don't know exactly what um, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that pathology is, mm-hmm. um, but I know it exists, and I know I don't know. I know very few people that are part of the Lane program that didn't panic outright, including mm-hmm. myself, when it turned around and was like, "How much is in the bank? Mm-hmm. What you know? Something happened. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You go through, <laughs> yeah. Something's wrong." <laughs> Something's wrong right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is a pathology. I'm not sure, but we've talked about it for sure within this lane program. Beautiful. And we are, are, are heading towards the, I like to say, the close of this portion of lane, right? These four years of sort of intense uh, um, regular connectivity um, organ- orchestrated by NPN. Like I'm, I'm super excited about this idea of like folks self-organizing and continuing to, to being community and connection and what ways uh, we can support. And it, I'm realizing when we wrote the grant, four years sounded like, wow, sounded lavish. Four years, you know? Um, and now we're at the end of four years and I'm like, where did it go? My goodness. Um, and firmly believing that, that Lane has been helpful, I'm also really keenly aware of, were there things that we didn't get to? Were there things that you're like, oh, if we had another two or three years, we would have we explored this? Or I'm, I'm thinking a lot about what you were saying, Stephanie, around um, writing your change capital, which is, a, which is a plan for you all for the next few years, of like the specific things around Mellon, but also that there were spaces that you were like, oh, this doesn't get covered, but it's important to our plan, right? Mm-hmm. Important to what we need to move forward or to me, where there are spaces or things that in, in your imagination, like Junebug could have uh, experienced this or still needs, like what, um, what sort of call would you make to the field about if Lane were to close, what would you want next? I remember doing an activity in one of our meetings about if we having, or I think the reason one in Knoxville, having gone through what we've gone through in Lane, how would we then shift and move things around? Mm-hmm. And I remember, even though we were clear, we needed all the time to get to writing the proposal um, for the change capital some kind of way in some imaginary world, we'd also want just as much time to work with each other and 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 continue to have these meetings mm. as we move through utilizing the change capital. Oh, sure. um, and we've, we, we kind of like seeing it out to the end, to the end of that grant period and even beyond uh, to sit and reflect with each other on what the change capital meant for us, how we started and where we ended. Did things turn out the way we initially imagined them to? So kind of being able to be together until all of that. I have been wondering, like there's this chicken and egg theory that I've been toiling with. Whether or not having a str- like this strategic plan that has this beautiful strategic plan that has the... Um, that has a budget in there on like a, a real budget that will 
be like in order to make this act actualize this here's the budget that we see mm-hmm. for where our major investments will go ultimately i'm happy that we had that but i also wondered what it would mean to dream inside that strategic plan first and be able to operate off of the things that came out of that strategic planning pro- or out of that process how that would have informed how we wrote that proposal for Mellon, mm-hmm. right? And then after getting the funding from Mellon, the second part of it is, yes, you have that. And the Mellon funding is there for you that as a kickoff for that. And then here's this other institution, another funding institution that um, everything named on the inside of the strategic plan um, that was helped started by, you know, like Mellon and some of the things that are laid out that Mellon is funding a portion of. We're going to give you this other pot of money to help actualize the things in the plan. Mm-hmm. That's how I would. I'm, I'm toiling over whether or not it was best to do it that way. I will share with you what we're what we're what we're going what we went for was um, did the Mellon did the dreaming albeit fast mm-hmm. did the strategic plan here's what we laid out in melon here's a strategic plan to support that here's a budget that in order to actualize this this is what you're going to need definitely went through a rigorous process with that throwing stuff like how do you turn around and move the needle on your earned income like by 30 percent like how are you really moving that needle right um and then for me I went forth and was like, okay, now here's this beautiful strategic plan. This is how we're seeing stuff. We're really serious about it. Here's how we're investing. And then having people to come on board to support, helping to actualize that plan. Mm -hmm. I think it is a three-pronged approach. I think it really, truly is. Um, and, And besides from your regular strategic plans that happen, having like a really rigorous going over the budgeting portion of that, what that would look like to match, I think is really very important. Um, And so then it gets you to a place of um, not just this is, here's a plan, good luck, Mm -hmm. but that this is something that's really very carefully thought about. You can wrap your mind around it. You can talk about it with agent license and agency People understand it and they're like, yeah, right on. Like that's something we can actually get behind and something we actually really want to support. I, I think that that's been our approach to it. We'll see whether or not that all works. <laughs> we have fingers crossed that it's all, you know, it will all work itself out. But I think that we're in a good place. I think that we were really smart about um, how we're thinking about it. We challenged ourselves. We're very challenged by it. And that that place of um, excitement and fear, which I think is also <laughs> comes hand in hand with the work, is mm-hmm. like, this This is exciting. We, if we could pull this off, this is like really exciting. And this shit is scary too, mm-hmm. right? At the same time, um, I think it's that that's that area we stay in. I think we bounce back and forth. And if I'm being 100%, it's a place that gets me charged, right? Right. Yeah. Everybody wants to feel like I might pee on myself a little bit. Well, that's I'm so screwed up. I mean. that's, yes. that's courage, right? It's mm-hmm. not the absence of fear, but having fear there and still wanting to do it. And still stepping into yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think that's part. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being honest, I think that's kind of. We, we're kind of not really adrenaline junkies but we are <laughs> name yourself as courageous very courageous we're courageous, yes. we're courageous. And, and, and I have no doubt it's going to be not only just fine but amazing primarily because um, one of the values you named earlier Demia was like you all's ability to be responsive right so if something and I've noticed if something doesn't feel right you all will be like, hold up, let's figure it out. Like, what's the most, what's the, what's the next move, right? You know, and so uh, I'm really uh, uh, excited to watch the future and, and watch you all continue to move. Shout out to Yancey Consulting and yes. Lisa Yancey. We're talking yes. about the strategic plan a lot. Yeah. So um, yes. let's wonderful. go ahead and, and name her. Yeah. And, um, and the ways in which um, 
you all, you here at Junebug, you Stephanie and you Demia, and, um, really work with everyone who comes into your sphere. To be like, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. Um, I, there's never a moment where I think folks are just going to hand you something without you all having a hand in it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think that um, that speaks volumes and speaks to the way you all have come into this work. Even going back to your relationship with Adela back in the day and, and you coming in these four years of just like, okay, we're going to, to make this. Uh, this organization is going to, to not only sustain, but going to grow and thrive and make sure our community is uh, well cared for and in the midst of it. Thank you. Thank you all. I really appreciate this time. Are there things coming up for Junebug that folks should know about? Well, we're going into our 40-year anniversary. Woo-hoo! 40-year yeah. anniversary. We'll be having um, January 25th here in New Orleans. We'll be having a big press event uh, for the announcement of that in our season. Um, we'll be, uh, we'll be uh, hosting a series of salons actually all around the country. Uh, we'll be doing these series of salons that will act as um, both fundraisers but also friend raisers. Um, for Junebug and um, as a way to connect to communities in a very small in, in a smaller way um, but for people to understand and they have been at places that people have supported us mm-hmm. in the past and it's a way for us to get reconnected so it's a little bit of a kind of get to know you again um, kind of bit of a tour um, mm-hmm. for us um, Gomila the piece that I um, presented will be uh, presented by 651 Arts in uh, June of 2020 in New York. So we're very excited about heading to Brooklyn. Um, And also we just got word that we're gonna be presented by the Charles H. Wright Museum in Detroit, Michigan in fall of 2020. So um, it's a lot of really exciting things. And then even more to that um, in the year after, because you know, who can celebrate an anniversary in just one year? You wanna make it go as long as possible, but. For us, it'll be going into two years um, after that. And there's much, much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are the things to kind of stay tuned for uh, from us. And we might be in a city somewhere near you. So. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> well, I appreciate, again, the time that you all have taken. And I'm so appreciative of the journey and, and the trust and the courage that you all have uh, stepped into. And... Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Funding support for Lane is provided by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. You can find more information about Lane and the amazing organizations involved on the NPN website, www.npnweb.org. This episode was co-edited by Amanda Bankston and Monica Tyran. Jazz Franklin is our podcast editor and sound design by Muti Reed.